Welcome to Cinescope Today, where our goal is to view and discuss current release films from a perspective that celebrates movies and their stories, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us, not necessarily free from criticism. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host for Cinescope Today, Seth O'Neill, and we are talking about Black Panther. Seth, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you, Chad? Doing all right. Uh, just to... For full uh, uh, honesty, this is round two of us trying to record this. I didn't have settings selected correctly. So forgive us if this sounds slightly contrived at the beginning, but we caught our mistake pretty early on and uh, we'll get back into the flow of things. But to go over things again, it is move-in weekend. It's finally here. We've been teasing it. And as of the next time we record Cinescope today, we will be official roommates. Woo-woo. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um, and what that'll mean is more regular episodes of Cinescope today, which is great considering the upcoming summer release schedule, really starting with Ready Player One, which you've already teased how excited we are for that. I'm, st- <laughs> I'm so ready. I wish I wish it was that March 20, what is it, 25th? 25th. It's late March, last week of March. I'm so ready. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, so that starts it off for us, really. And I'm sure we'll have one or two things or three things before then. Uh, but there will be more regular episodes of Cinescope today. And I just want to, since this is on the normal Cinescope feed, I just want to say normal Cinescope will be back, hopefully, or it should be back next week. Um, we're in the middle of competition season with my school orchestra. Uh, we have our concert and sight reading uh, contest this next Wednesday. And then my stress and schedule levels of busyness will drop significantly. And so I'll be able to contact people and plan ahead more regularly and release Cinescope back on its normal weekly schedule. And hopefully we'll get Cinescope today back on its weekly schedule and all that good stuff. So you're going to be getting a lot of podcasting from us in the hopefully near future. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in. I don't think there was anything else that we covered. Let's, let's go ahead and talk about Black Panther. Are you ready? Wakanda forever. <laughs> um and uh, as as i did before i know you haven't heard this so i don't need to reference it but for my own sanity uh, i just want to say we are two white dudes talking about a movie that is very important for black people and that is not lost on us we're going to try our very best to do it justice uh spoilers we both like the movie and we we i'm sure have some criticism to levy at it but none of it takes away from the significance of this film and the importance that it was even made and even more that it has done very well successfully uh critically and financially so we just wanted to preface with that and now let's go ahead and dive into the stats it was released on february 16th of 2018 was directed by 31 year old ryan coogler in his only third film after fruitvale station and creed the movie was written by Kugler and Joe Robert Cole. The music was by Ludwig Granson, who also composed for 30 Minutes or Less uh, Kugler's films, Fruitvale Station and Creed, as well as Everything Everything. And the movie stars Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Danai Guerrera, Daniel Kaluuya, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, John Connie, Florence Kasumba, and then Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis. So as we always start off, uh, spoiler-free thoughts. What were your expectations for this movie walking in, and uh, were they met or not walking out? So uh, my expectations obviously going in, our exposure to Black Panther uh, first was from Civil War. Uh, That was our first introduction to who uh, the Black Panther is. Obviously, we didn't get a whole lot from it because it was kind of just a little sneak peek of, hey, here's the Black Panther, Uh, here's what happened that kind of caused the Black Panther, him to kind of step out even more uh, with his father dying in Civil War. Spoiler right there if you haven't seen it, but it's been a few years, so if you haven't seen it, your fault. <laughs> uh, but I, after seeing Civil War and being introduced to Black, Black Panther, uh, I was very excited for the movie because I was very intrigued by the character that he's shown in Civil War and the kind of the mystery that he, mystery that had kind of popped up, like who is he, where does he come from, what's Wakanda? Uh, so that kind of pumped me up a little bit. Then on top of that, we saw it a little bit later uh, than opening weekend, probably like four or five days after it opened. So obviously people had started posting about it. I had a lot of friends go, uh, go crazy on Facebook saying, man, this is awesome. Wakanda forever. Uh, <laughs> and which I kept reading and reading into, which made me even more excited because I was like, wow, this must be something amazing. I'm about to get my mind blown. Uh, so I was very excited. Obviously, it's a Marvel movie, too. So I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. Uh, so going into it, I had a lot of high expectations, which I think was my downfall because 
when I first saw it without even thinking, really thinking about the movie, just kind of watching it. And after the movie, I was like, man, that didn't really, that didn't really blow my mind. Like all these people are saying, and I think that was kind of the poisons that people kind of fed, fed me high expectations that made me super hypercritical. Uh, but after I kind of sat down and thought about the movie, thought about kind of the importance of it, thought about the story itself and uh, what the characters did and like what they meant, what the development was, I really gained more respect for it. And uh, ultimately, I, I enjoy it more than I did whenever I sat down trying to be super critical about it because people kind of made me super analytical because they're saying it's an amazing movie. Uh, before I share my expectations and thoughts, I do want to tell uh, a brief story uh, again. <laughs> um, this Tuesday, it was uh, just a couple of days ago from, or yeah, a couple of days ago from now, which was February 27th. Uh, we finally got around to going to see this together. And so we went to dinner and then we went to the movie at not a super late time. I should mention it was 730, I think. Yeah, it was a 7.30 showing, Uh, (laughs) Uh, but uh, yeah, it does (laughs) Uh, because 10 minutes into the movie or 15 or however many, it wasn't very long. I look over and Seth next to me in our comfy AMC Dolby Digital Cinema recliners has fallen asleep. They're comfy chairs though. (laughs) Those are dangerous. And so I think to myself, oh, come on, Seth. It hasn't even started yet. There's no reason to fall asleep yet. And so I nudge him and just sort of uh, shake it off because, hey, he was up at uh, at work at 5 a.m. this morning. I get it. He's had a long day. The movie's just getting started. It'll pick up soon and he won't fall asleep anymore. Oh, that was me being optimistic because I think, Seth, you were asleep for half of this movie when we saw it Tuesday night. Probably so. Probably and so here I am thinking during the movie, man, I guess we're not going to record a podcast on this after all, because I'm not going to have Seth talk about a movie he didn't watch and I'm not going to record it by myself. And so I'm preparing this sort of speech thing in my mind as we're walking out of the theater. Like, okay, it's not a big deal, Seth. It's okay. I get it. We'll either postpone this, do it another time, or maybe we'll just skip it, whatever. Everybody else has already talked about Black Panther. It doesn't matter. And as I'm preparing this, you say, oh, by the way, I saw this on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but I, I hid that little nugget of knowledge from him. I was just trying to make sure he wouldn't ask me any questions so that I wouldn't try to spoil any expectations for him. Yeah, so uh, he, he did tell me that, revealed, oh, okay, we can record a podcast on this after all, because he did already seen it. But he dropped the bombshell then that he didn't like it very much. And here I was walking out of the theater thinking, man, that was really great. So uh, I'm glad you've warmed up to it. I think we're going to have great discussion either way. Uh, but just to share my expectations walking in, uh, I want to confess that I have had a little bit of superhero burnout, I think. I still haven't seen Logan. I haven't seen Wonder Woman or Spider-Man Homecoming or Thor Ragnarok. Now, three of those four I have on Blu-ray and I'll be hopefully watching very, very soon. But I didn't catch them in theater because I didn't want to make the time to catch them in theaters. I, I, I just lost interest, I suppose, because we get four or five of these superhero films every year at this point, And it, frankly, it's exhausting a lot of the time. Now, that being said, I do like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I haven't really had any of them that I don't like even a little bit, Um, but I'm very excited for Infinity War because I remember back in 2012 when the first Avengers film came out and I thought, man, it is so cool that we've had these five movies, these five different characters, and they're all going to be together in the same movie. That's never happened before. How cool is that? And it was cool. Avengers was great. But now we've got like 15 to 20 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all of those characters are going to be in a movie together for Infinity War, and that just blows my mind even further. And so really, I think it's my excitement for Infinity War that drove my excitement for Black Panther, um, in addition to the fact that, yes, this is a very culturally significant movie, and I was anxious to see how it turned out, because if... It turned out good, which it did, thankfully. That is great for for black people, for colored people, for non-white people everywhere. If it was not good, yeah, it's still great that it got made, but we would be more unlikely to see movies like this again in the future, or not as many at least, um, not to this standard. And thankfully it was very good, and I'm happy to say that I, I think it, it makes bold statements about black culture and how they've been treated worldwide and especially in America over the years. And so 
that was part of my expectations. And like I said, I did love the movie. I uh, only saw the very initial trailer going in. I, I try to avoid most trailers nowadays. And so I, I wasn't spoiled. I just knew that people liked it. I knew that it was significant culturally and I loved it. I thought it was fresh. I thought it was new and different. I, I didn't expect things uh, to turn out the way they did. I, I didn't read the story beats ahead of time like I find myself doing so many times with the Marvel formula. And so uh, I, I just I thought this movie was so refreshing and cool and new and different. And I'm so thankful that it turned out as well as it did. Um, now, I, I can't think of any cons or negatives to the film off the top of my head because I, I, it was a very positive experience for me. Are there any just like non-spoilery general cons or negatives that you can think of? Uh, honestly, no. Uh, the only con, that I'd, the only thing I'd warn people go, that have not seen the movie is just make sure you do not go in with super high expectations because that can sometimes be a way to block your way of actually enjoying the movie, which in my case it was. Uh, so just make sure you don't go in, in that way, but uh, just actual cons of the movie. There are a few things that we'll talk about that maybe I wish were better or they, I think that I wish they would change, but ultimately the movie itself is a, like you said, it's a great movie with great, uh, social, uh, topics that it covers great, uh, just thematic topics that it covers that we'll discuss, but it overall is just a movie that is very enjoyable for anyone to go see it is a good superhero movie with a great superhero there with a great community in the movie as well. Yeah, I think that for both of us, we, we normally ask the question in our spoiler-free section, would you recommend this movie or this movie for people to see in theaters? And for, from both of us, I think we can say it's a resounding yes, because one, we liked it, but two, because the more we tell the studios that we want these kinds of movies and the more we show them that with our wallets, the more likely we're going to get more of these kinds of movies in the future. And so even if we didn't have the greatest opinions towards this film, as, as high an opinion towards this film as we do, uh, I would say, please take a weekend, take somebody with you, go see this movie because that's the only way we're going to get more. So that's that. That's our spoiler-free section. Let's move into the spoiler stuff. And uh, we're almost caught up to where we <laughs> recorded to earlier. Um, Story-wise, I love that Wakanda was fleshed out for us here because in Civil War, we get introduced to uh, Wakanda and to the Black Panther, and there are some dots that just aren't connected because I see this uh, this this family, this father-son duo who are very well put together. Uh, they're apparently superheroes with these indestructible costumes and panther-like reflexes and they come from this third world country in the middle of Africa that nobody's ever really heard or paid attention to. So I had questions like, okay, how? (laughs) And so uh, being a non-comics person, it was really useful to me to start this movie with the introduction of the history of Wakanda and how, yes, the rest of the world thinks this is a third world country that just keeps to themselves. And yes, they keep to themselves, but it's because they are definitely not a third world country. They're hiding in plain sight and they are very technologically advanced because of their very significant resource of vibranium, which worth noting is what Captain America's shield is made out of. And uh, also not lost on me is the importance of the notion that this uncolonized African nation was free to live their lives and continue their traditions and develop technologically and socially to the point that they are now, in many ways, the richest, wealthiest, most technologically advanced nation in the world. And it just makes you wonder, uh, what would Africa be like today? if it had been left uncolonized and if the slave trade had not been a thing. And it, it almost, it hurts because we, we see how people over history have had their lives stolen from them and how that has had lingering lasting effects. But we see here the possibility of what could have happened if they had been allowed the chance to thrive and grow on their own. So that's not lost on me. And, uh, Man, Wakanda is just a, it's a cool place. It looks nice. It's steeped in tradition. Uh, everybody's joyful. They have their own ways of life that is unique to them. It, it's a really special place. And I love that we got to see a lot of it in this movie. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it's a great story that it introduced us to kind of the culture of, of it is, kind of the origin of the Black Panther and how that was involved in the uh, vibranium that was found and how they use that to choose the Black Panther and give him his abilities, that kind of superhuman abilities. Uh, and also, it, it's like you said, like it, it's sad to think about what could have been for the nation of Africa if the slavery didn't happen. Cause I think that ultimately that's why Wakanda had to go into hiding because all that was going on in the society. Obviously we don't, didn't really know what year it was when all this was happening. Uh, we can kind of guesstimate, uh, based off of kind of how current it is. Actually, did, did it give us a year? Uh, I mean, I think it's, they've been there for thousands of oh, years. Really? Okay. really. I don't know if it's been a long time, I think. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, there, there were either way, there, there was slavery going on. So Wakanda knew it had a high because of the nations that were around it that were using Africa for just this evil thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that itself is sad to think about. Uh, but again, Wakanda, like you said, is a very joyful uh, group, is a very joyful tribe that's very unified. There obviously is, there's five different tribes that form Wakanda, but each of them have a different characteristic, but they all understand that they are under the rule of the black Panther. They're, mm-hmm. un, they're under the kind of the powers that were granted to the Wakanda people through the vibranium. So it's a very just awesome group of people to watch because they are, were given something that not, not, not anyone else in this earth has, but they're using it for amazing things and they, they're trying to advance so much and get better and better every single day with the new technology that they're making. So it's a very awesome uh, community that we get to watch. Mm-hmm. It's very self-contained. They're very protective of each other. And in fact, the Black Panther himself is framed as a uniter and as a peacekeeper. Uh, the, the tribes were warring over the vibranium until somebody was bestowed with this heart-shaped flower that gave them the power of the Black Panther and gave him the power to unify everybody. I think that's really cool, especially the the peacekeeping aspects of it, the the uh, the lack of want for violence. Uh, so yeah, very cool nation, very cool visuals that like the design of the city itself or the the nation itself is colorful and it poses a, a really cool mix of traditional African sort of expectations and garb that we uh, associate with that part of the world, but also with this like futuristic setting and technology that's it, it's a really cool pairing and contrast of the 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 traditional and the futuristic together. I agree with that for sure. That's a that's a great way to explain it for sure. And uh it was awesome. It's awesome because the uh well, actually we'll get into characters later. We're actually talking about story, but I was about to jump into characters, but we're still, we'll stop. <laughs> well, I'm ready if you are. I mean, is there any other story thing? Uh, that pop not up? really. I, I, I most of my story stuff is gonna come out in character talk. Okay. So uh just starting with uh T'Challa, what do you have to say about him? Uh obviously I think the the biggest thing for T'Challa is he's at first I think he's very I won't I won't say immature. But he's very, uh, he's not confident. Mm-hmm. He's not confident in the powers that he's given. He is, obviously, he is able to use, he has a lot of abilities that he's able to use because he is bestowed with the Black Panther uh, from his father. But uh, he's not confident that he can be the Black Panther. And that's something that you see him struggle with throughout the, kind of the first half of the film or so. Because even when, like, whenever he gets to the scene where he actually gets to talk to his father in the spirit realm, you see that kind of conflict, like, I'm not ready. And he's also, a lot of things, conversations he has with other people, you kind of see that he's not just confident in a lot of stuff he does. So that's the big thing that he has to kind of struggle through this movie is owning up to being the true Black Panther, which is the going to be the ruler of Wakanda, the king of Wakanda. So it is something that he wants to own up to, but it's, it's also something that he develops throughout the whole movie is his confidence that, yes, I am the Black Panther, I am the one that's going to... Uh, rule over Wakanda and make the decisions that's best for my nation. Timeline-wise, they said this movie only takes place a week after the events of Civil War, basically. Yeah. Uh, so he's his father's death is still very fresh on his mind and on his heart. And he admired his father and was very close to his father, obviously. We saw that in Civil War, even. Uh, and he worries about living up to his father's legacy, and I think that's where a lot of his confidence issues come from. It's not that he doesn't think he can do the job, it's that he doesn't think he can do the job as well as his father did. 
And it's this sort of pie-in-the-sky vision that a lot of us have of our fathers, especially as children. Uh, and he obviously still has it as an adult, but something that he has to deal with even further as the movie progresses is that his father wasn't the perfect ruler that he thought he was. He wasn't the perfect man he thought he was. Uh, we see, well, we don't see it at first, but we, we see the rest of it later. Uh, his uncle, Tatala's uncle and T'Chaka's brother, betrayed Wakanda for reasons that we'll talk about. Uh, and it resulted in T'Chaka killing him. And instead of taking his son that he had uh, had in America during his time as a spy there, uh, he left him behind and abandoned him, despite being of Wakandan descent. And I mean, not even technically, he was family, literally family, his blood. And to T'Challa, this is unforgivable. And I mean, frankly, I agree, uh, because we see the the steps down the road where that decision uh whether it was made in uh protection of his country or not it was a bad decision and it had repercussions and to t'challa this is really unforgivable he becomes very disillusioned with this image he had of his father uh and he has that chance to confront him when he dies nearly uh and sees him again in the spirit realm and says how how could you? Like, why would you? This this was wrong, and everything that Wakanda has done leading up to now has been wrong. We have to make the decision to help other people. And so he returns, and that's exactly what he does. He he defeats Killmonger in a very noble way and ultimately changes the direction of Wakanda. And so I, I love that progression of understanding that the perfect people in our life aren't perfect. We all have something, we have skeletons in the closet. We all have things that we struggle with and that doesn't necessarily make us worse people, but we have to do the best we can with what we have and we have to do good in the world. Yeah. And like you're saying for uh, T'Chanka, I think that was a surprise. Obviously that's a a twist that this movie was trying to get to us for us to react to as well. Because from what we knew from T'Chanko, from even back to Civil War, uh, was he was visioned as his peacekeeper. Mm-hmm. He was someone that was very calm, very uh, pride, obviously prideful with his country, but he was a peacekeeper. He was a very respected leader. And there was nothing negative we could see from him. Even throughout the movie, as we kind of saw, like everyone in the nation of Wakanda loved him, respected him. There was nothing negative at all from him, even in the spirit realm. Which, a, honestly, whenever I saw the Spirit Realm scene, I thought Lion King for some reason. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was that, like, that confrontation like with Mufasa. Mufasa, Simba type <laughs> moment right here. I think the parallel is definitely there. Yeah, yeah I, I saw, that's literally all I thought about. I was like, ah, this is Lion King. Uh, but, uh, again, we honestly just had this positive view of T'Chanka even then. Just because he was just so respected and loved and the perspective that T'Challa had for him uh, made it seem like he was just this perfect leader. Which is why, again, I think that's, again, why... T'Challa struggled with the confidence because he's like, I'm never going to match up to who you were. I'm not going to be that good of a leader. And so whenever he saw that T'Chanka had those struggles, he kind of understood that even though I'm going to be a leader, I can, I I will make mistakes. That's going to happen. I I just have to own up to them. Not like his father didn't do. Mm -hmm. And that would make him the better leader than his father's owning up to making mistakes, but doing something about those mistakes. And he decides he has to make bolder decisions in general. He has to, you can't always avoid uh, the confrontation of things. Sometimes you have to confront people to do the right thing. And so that's what he does is he confronts Killmonger. And when he is eventually victorious, he continues to show mercy. Um, and he showed mercy at the start of the film, too, during the ritual when he had his power stripped from him. And he was challenged by Mbaka, I believe. Yeah, yes. Mbaka, Mbaka is his name. Um, he had the opportunity to kill him and said, you need to yield to me or I'm going to have to kill you. That's just the way the, the outcome of this, that's what the outcome is going to be if you don't yield. And so he, he gives him that option. He gives him the choice of life. Uh, he does that earlier in the film and he does the same thing with Killmonger at the end after he has 
defeated him, stabbed him in the chest. In fact, uh, he goes beyond just offering him his life back. He grants him the the peace of watching a sunset, which is something that his father had always told him about before he had been killed. And it was sort of a driving force for Killmonger's motivations for a lot of the film was reaching Wakanda and finding this place that his father had spoken of in addition to sort of getting revenge and taking hold of their resources for himself. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just love that even in victory, T'Challa is merciful. And th- I think to me, that's the strength of a, a good leader. Good leader. Agreed, for sure. Uh, going ahead and, and moving on to Killmonger, what are your thoughts on him? So Killmonger, I think if you think, if, in order to understand his character, you have to think the way he thinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ultimately, if you're in his shoes where you were literally left abandoned because someone killed your father and you found out who it was, obviously your, your whole life is going to be centered around the fact of, I need to find these people and give them a taste of their own medicine. Because obviously his life was fine in America. He obviously didn't know his father's heritage at all, really that much. But because of what happened to his father, that drove him to find out what was happening. So well, actually, I'm not sure if he knew if he knew as a kid if he was Wakandan or not. Anyway. I, I think the 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 scene when he was giving getting the Black Panther powers part of that it was part flashback and part Spirit Realm. Okay, so so maybe, I think it was him flashing back to a time when he found out okay. about Wakanda from his father before he died, and then being able to confront him okay. as an adult. Now, now, that, now that I said that, I was like, then how would he even know about Wakanda? That now yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So obviously, okay. So he did. He did kind of know his his descendants a little bit. So that's kind of why he motivated to find Wakanda. But uh, obviously, like his whole mindset was he wants to get do his father right. Like he did not see his father in an ne- evil way. Kind of like how T'Challa didn't see his father in an evil way as well. So ultimately, uh. Uh, Killmonger's mindset was just, I need to find out, find these, find my people, find out where I'm from, and I need to do my best to make sure that they, I, I, I fix what was messed up. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately he didn't want, he never, he didn't want to like kill Wakanda. He didn't want to end Wakanda. He wanted to change Wakanda to be to be what's better in his mind for that nation. Yeah, it's it's tough. He. Marvel has had a history of just not memorable villains. And I think Loki was one that was an exception. And I think Killmonger for me is an exception because of the social importance of Killmonger as a character, because he, he's an intimidating villain made all the more effective by the fact that he was created essentially by T'Chaka and the notion that Wakanda's emphasis on solitude and the protection of its people was more important to to T'Chaka and to the nation itself than to bring in a lone outsider and a child at that. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's beyond me why they couldn't make an exception. Uh, and I don't see that as a story weakness. That's a, that's a character weakness. And uh, I, it, it, T'Chaka was wrong, and T'Challa is right to call him out on it and to to change things for the better by the end of the film. But instead of having the situation sort of explained to him, Killmonger, and having the opportunity to live and to grow as a Wakandan, like his father had the opportunity to, and having the benefit of being part of the royal family, he's left to fend for himself with nothing but the knowledge of who killed his father, and the anger festers because of that. And all the, all the meanwhile, he's living in a rough part of the world uh, uh, looks to be a tough neighborhood in California. And we know historically black people have not been treated well in America. And so he has lived his life without his parents being oppressed by the people around him and the lack of equal opportunity. And so his mindset is there's this nation out there where my father is from. They abandoned him. They abandoned me. They have the resources to not only take care of themselves, but also to take care of all of their black brothers and sisters around the world. And they don't. And I'm going to do something about it. And that's the heartbreaking part of Killmonger to me, is that he sees Wakanda as a tool to seek justice. 
And I saw this parallel online the other day. The the Killmonger T'Challa uh, duo is very much like the Magneto Doctor X uh, relationship in X Men because Magneto sees mutants as a superior race that wants equality and wants to uh, find that equality by making themselves beyond equal, by making them better than everybody else and taking over. And Killmonger sort of has that same mindset. So I, I like that comparison. Yeah, that makes actually a lot of sense uh, thinking about it in that light, uh, that perspective, like it was, it was X-Men for sure. Because uh, you, you can see that uh, Killmonger wants to use the resources in a way that he wants to use the weapons, the resources of vibranium to reach out to the others that are oppressed. He, like he, throughout the movie, you'll see he always talks about my ancestors. And obviously, whenever he's talking about that, he's talking about those that were impacted or inflicted by, through slavery or through the trade or through just being oppressed for the color of their skin, whatever it was. He obviously is talking about those people that have had issues due to their ancestry, due to who they are as a person. So he wants to fix that and fix that oppression, fix that negativity that has been coming through throughout the, all the years and obviously still, still is present in present day, which is sad. But uh, that's an awesome comparison because I can, I can see that really evident side by side, how one's wanting to use Wakanda for the good and one's wanting to use it for the power. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, the problem with both Magneto and with Killmonger is that when you try to assert your superiority over somebody else, you just become the problem. Like white people uh, are the problem, frankly, because we have had a history of uh, uh, using our skin color to enforce ourselves as superior over other people. And now Killmonger just wants to do the same thing in reverse. And so how does that fix a problem? And Magneto, how does that fix a problem when mutants start oppressing non-mutant people? Uh, so, so that's the issue at hand here. And that's why T'Challa sees it as so desperate a situation that he needs to stop him. Uh, it's, also what Killmonger's father's mission was, and that, that's sort of why he betrayed Wakanda in the first place, was because he was trying to arm the Wakandan spies around the world so that they could take control, and may, maybe even not take control. I think Killmonger's maybe a more extreme version of what his father wanted, which was just to help each other, uh, and purely that, to help each other, to, to seek out and to assist those who are oppressed and in need. But Killmonger wants to straight up reverse oppress people who have done that to him to begin with. Yeah, and that, that, again, I, I can't. I, I basically I feel like I'm about to repeat you again, but that's exactly <laughs> right. I don't want to keep just being an echo for you as, at all. Uh, but yeah, it it all makes sense. Okay, I'm. I'm yeah. Uh, now as far as the other characters go i don't have a whole lot of discussion points for them but is there anybody in particular you want to talk about i have a list of names that i want to sort of shout out but i wanted to hear what you had to say about anybody in particular first uh another character obviously that i i really enjoyed was nakia Mm -hmm. uh because her character was very compassionate and very servant-minded uh even though she was kind of she was one of the tribe's royalty i think she was a daughter of the one of the tribesmen uh, leaders nikia i think is t'challa's oh wait no nikia L- lupita nyong'o's character yeah okay sorry Go she's ahead. she's the love, love interest yes yes t'challa. yes i was thinking the sister for no, some not reason the sister. that's uh what's her name that's uh her character name shuri shuri that's right okay um uh, but yeah uh, nikia i really enjoyed her character specifically because the, our first exposure of hers was there doing a rescue mission for her and she was undercover as just an african woman a basic African woman in a tribe that was being captured, held captive. And I think they're part I honestly think they're being ca- held captive for slavery or trade. Uh, so you see that she was among other women that were being held captive. And she, the reason she was being that way was because she was trying to collect information about who these people were that were holding these women captive. And she was serving her country and wanting to protect even more of the people that were uh, being used negatively in the nation of Africa. And then even throughout the movie, uh, whenever T'Challa's like, hey, stay in Wakanda, be my queen, 
all this. She's like, no, I want to serve the people. I, I want, I want my people to be safe. So you see that she has just a servant mind, compassionate person. That's very, um, encouraging, uh, very, uh, very good role model to look at no matter who you are. Cause obviously oh, if we are all thinking like that, that would make the world a better place type deal. Uh, but she just has a very awesome mindset and awesome perspective on how to serve the people around you and do it in a way that is, doesn't force anything. It's very, just a compassionate, very open-minded and very bold because she'll, she'll do whatever it takes to make sure that her people are safe. You know, in a way she's the non-corrupt version of Killmonger's mission where she's out in the world protecting those who have been oppressed and purely doing that protecting and rescuing. And that's what Killmonger, if he wasn't quote, the bad guy, that's what his mission would be, would be to help those who can be helped because you have the ability to help. And that's what Nakia is doing. And that's why she is so resistant to staying, not because she doesn't love T'Challa, but because she, she's passionate about protecting people like her who just don't have the resources like her. Uh, so I, I really like her, and I like her loyalty to T'Challa specifically. Um, there, there's, there's a loyalty. Um, you know, actually, I, this is in my discussion points for theme, so I'll save it. But I, I like her loyalty to T'Challa, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, a character I really liked uh, was uh, M'Baka. M'Baka is one I have uh, a few things to say about, portrayed by Winston Duke. He's the guy who is the, the lead of the one tribe in Wakanda that sort of doesn't bow to the Black Panther, the way I understand it. There's four or five tribes, and all of them are united except for this one sort of on the outskirts. And so he's the one who, at the start of the film, at the, the ceremony where T'Challa is being sworn in, basically, as king, he challenges him for the throne, says, nope, I, I want your position. So they fight, and it's his life that is spared by T'Challa. And so uh, the movie goes on. We don't see from, from him or hear from him for a while. And when T'Challa is defeated by Killmonger the first time and washes up in the middle of the, an icy river, uh, he protects him and shelters him in Baca takes T'Challa and protects and shelters him. And when Shuri and Nakia and T'Challa's mother come by seeking help and wanting to give M'Baka the ability of the Black Panther to hopefully defeat and take down Killmonger, he says, listen, I have your king here and I respect the outcome of our duel. And I respect that he gave me my life back when he didn't have the obligation to do so. And he's, he's sort of a changed man from what we saw earlier in the film. And so I really appreciated that about his character was that he respected the results and the outcome of this duel. And he was loyal and, uh, well, not, not, maybe not loyal is the word, but he, he was honoring that, that challenge outcome to the point that he restored T'Challa to his former glory after protecting him and handing him over and allowing him to take the Black Panther powers rather than M'Baka himself. And then later he brings an army to assist. And so it, it's really this, I don't want to say it's a complete 180 because we don't see a whole lot of the character at the start of the film, but he's very different from the man who challenges T'Challa at the start and his change to the end. So Winston Duke, pretty cool guy. Yeah, and uh, another character that I want to bring up as well, and, and actually the characters, the two, there's two characters I actually want to talk about that actually I didn't like in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, the reason I didn't like this first character is because they, they wanted you not to like him, is Wakabi. Mm-hmm. I feel like they didn't want, want you to like Wakabi, which is portrayed by... Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya, which is from Get Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I didn't like his character because he was so shady. And throughout the movie, you see that he's T'Challa's, one of T'Challa's best friends. Uh, but the second that T'Challa is dethroned by Killmonger, he's now following Killmonger. Like, and th- the thing that uh, I don't like about Wakabi is because he was a man of action. He, I think he, his mindset was more connected to Killmonger's mindset than it was to uh, Nakia or T'Challa. 
because mm-hmm. he wanted to do action. He wanted to do something about it. Do whether and he wants to use force. Mm-hmm. Like when it came to taking down Ulysses, uh, Claw was it Claws? Yeah, Claw. Claw or uh, Claw? I think it's just Claw. Claw. Uh, yeah. When it came to Claw, he's like, man, just kill him. Bring him, bring him back dead. Like he's like, just kill him. And like when it came to anything, he, his his first reaction is like, let's just pull pull out force, full force. Let's go. I think r- that right there is his character flaw. Is he is based especially in revenge because the reason he is so prejudiced against claw i mean he should be claw's not a good guy but it's because claw attacked wakanda and killed people who he was close to mm-hmm. and he saw it as a failure of t'chaka as king and black panther that claw was never brought to justice and so he expects t'challa as the new king to follow through where his father couldn't and to find justice for claw and T'Challa promises it and fails to deliver on it. But here comes Killmonger waltzing up with Claw in a body bag. He's done something that the past two kings of Wakanda have failed to do. Hey, let's go along with this guy because he delivers results. Now, he doesn't have the context of how Claw was killed by Killmonger or their former partnership or anything like that. And that's, that's his problem is that he's so focused on revenge that he doesn't have the full story. And then he completely essentially betrays his nation and his king by focusing on revenge and the person who was able to grant him the justice he thought was deserved. Yeah. So it it obviously just showed a lot of, like I said, character flaws for him because his focus was not on his nation. His focus on his his personal interest and was, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it specified who was killed during the attack that impacted him. I'm not sure if it was any parents or anything like that. I, I, I want to say it was probably like a wife or parents or something like that. It was family. I want to say that they said he mentioned something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I want, cause it was, I think I remember it being specific, uh, but yeah, he made, he made the, his mission, his, his mission for Wakanda, he made it too personal, which obviously was not the, the best interest for Wakanda. It was the best interest for him, which whenever your mindset turns from the best interest of the group to an individual interest, and then, shows your own flaws and makes it your mission not the best interest for a group of people. Uh, so that was one character I did not like was because obviously the movie does not kind of portrays him to not like him. Right. So it wasn't, uh, you thought this was a poorly fleshed out character. No, it was it like, was more like he, this was a character who made poor decisions Yeah, and I don't like him because yeah. of that. <laughs> I, I just didn't like him because of right, that. Right, right, right. Now the next, this next one obviously is another character we are not supposed to like, but there are things about him in the movie that I, I think were not portrayed correctly, or they could have done more. And that is Claw. Mm-hmm. We knew Claw from Age of Ultron, and we actually don't really know much about him from Age of Ultron either, because he he was briefly in there, uh, I, tag teaming with Ultron. For yeah, a little I, mean, bit. I I saw Age of Ultron once, and I don't remember much. I did remember that he lost his arm. Yeah, which is a sort of minor I, story. I think point he in this lost one. his arm because of Ultron because he got attacked by Ultron. I think him yeah. and his group were like trying to steal something. I don't know. Yeah, but I remember that we don't really know much about him. And then again, this storyline, he's a big villain because he's someone that's that's been against Wakanda for thirty years or something like that. Because he was the one that found Wakanda, blew up uh, a vibrant the vibranium plant, or blew up a village. Because he stole vibranium, but I wish they would have gone more into that villainous of him because we don't really know a good backstory, don't really know much depth about him other than he stole vibranium. We don't like him. I I, I mean, I agree with you. It would have been interesting to know more about him, um, but I did like what we got of Andy. I, I, I thought he was surprisingly funny oh, I, uh, I, without I losing his threat, uh, which was cool to me. Um, but I, I want to mention another character, and then I'll talk about why Martin Freeman's character of Everett Ross in this char- in this movie. Um, he is a noble man who, again, we've seen before. We saw him in Civil War, uh, but his character's determination to risk life to stop the weapon shipments from leaving Wakanda. Uh, he he is sitting sort of in the simulator, and he exits the simulator for a brief second to realize, oh, they're about to break through this chamber I'm in. I could very much, very possibly die in the next couple minutes if I don't hightail it out of here now. He says, nope, back in the simulation, let's finish what I started. And so he does, and thankfully he is able to escape. But the reason I bring him up in this discussion of Claw as well is because, again, I saw an article the other day, and I I thought it made a good point. Um, 
those two characters are notable because they are the only two main white characters in this movie. And I think it's significant that we don't know necessarily a whole lot about either of them because it's not their movie. You know? Um, and what this article was saying about Martin Freeman's character, Everett Ross specifically, was that he was okay playing the sidekick. And he was okay doing the uh, following through with the plans that were set before him rather than trying to come up with one of his own. And so for that reason, I forgive the fact that Claw isn't more fleshed out. One, because, well, I mean, this is a, a poor answer, but it is probably fleshed out more in the comics somewhere. Uh, so if we wanted that information, it's available to us. But two, we don't need... This This isn't a white person... <laughs> I want to be careful how I say this because I I don't want my words to be misconstrued. This isn't a white person's movie. This is to celebrate the black people in this movie and to go through their struggles and their victories and their celebrations and what have you. And so the fact that these two white characters aren't maybe as detailed or as fleshed out or we don't have as background story to them as we could have had in a different Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, that's okay to me because they weren't the focus. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I I I understand that for sure. Okay. I I slightly wish there's like whenever they told the backstory of him like stealing thirty thirty years ago, I wish they'd done like a flashback. Yeah, a flashback would have been good. I I I understand, but right. I I just want I I I think there's merits to both sides. Yeah. There. Um. Now, real quickly to to get through just a couple more characters, I really liked uh, Okoye. I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, who's the the head guard woman? who uh very fierce, very loyal. And I have, again, more to say about her loyalty uh, shortly. Um, I liked Nakia, played by Lupita Nyong'o. I liked Shuri a lot. She was like, she was almost like this movie's version of uh, Q from James Bond. Yes. Uh, the, the weapon supplier manufacturer, except there was the fun dynamic of her being the little sister at the same time. And I, I love that brother-sister relationship that, that T'Challa and Shuri had that was antagonistic at times because they're brother and sister, but it was also based in mutual respect from uh, uh, subject to king, I suppose you could say, but also just that brotherly sisterly love and her maturity as the head of technology in Wakanda. I I, I just thought she was a real uh, cool character and she had a lot of great personality and she was very likable in the film. So I just wanted to mention her. Yeah, and on top of that, just all of the female actresses in this mm-hmm. movie, I mean, that I applaud them because they, again, just not only are they showing uh, the importance of their heritage of being black, but also their strength of being a woman. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, for the, sure. the character, all the female characters portrayed in this movie were very strong, very confident women that knew what they wanted. There was no sign of just weakness that, you, that some movies would portray of women. Like they were very strong, and that also is very encouraging. I get any for any woman to see that is very encouraging, uh, but also for a man to see that as well. I, I think that is awesome that there's more strength in women characters nowadays than there have ever been in roles. Mm-hmm. Women aren't there for us to save them. No, they can save us sometimes too. Yeah, which they, which in which this movie happens. Like the, those the women <laughs> soldiers were kicking kicking butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is very cool. I, that's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, the the power of both uh, black people and the strength as a culture, and then women and their strength in their their abilities as women. I, I think that's amazing. Um, now moving on to music. Um, again, we we haven't like do, uh, dived in deep into the score or anything like that. We just have what was presented in the movie, uh, to which I say, man, it was just a cool score. <laughs> I, I honestly like this movie had such a wide mixture of types of music with uh-huh. it. There was the tribal music that you'd hear. There's like, and during the, the uh, scene where there, uh, T'Challa was going up against, uh, Baku or whenever they're doing this, the, the tri- kind of the, was it, what was a good word for it? The challenge, the challenge, the tribal challenge, whatever it was, they had that kind of little tribal chant that they would be doing. Then on top of that, you had the intensest instrumental music during fight scenes or just during transitions. And on top of that, you had the rap music. Yeah, there was like a hip hop element to Killmonger's themes. Yeah, and also whenever they they walked into the casino area, there was a hip hop music. That that was mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I've heard that song before. It was uh, the weekend. 
Oh, re- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the weekend. I think it's called "Pray for Me." I, I'm, try, I'm trying. I've heard. I've listened to it. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just a huge variety that you that you hear throughout the movie. Which again, I I think it's awesome because that's showing a, a lot of different communities of music combining it together to one film. So it's talking about it's it's all it's kind of also bringing another message that the film was bringing together. It was just a lot of different communities combined together to form one unit. Mm-hmm. And it's just awesome to see how the music works together with the message of the movie. Yeah, and you mentioned the tribal percussion. And what was unique about the tribal percussion is it's not like this incessant, ongoing drums and drums and drums like you would expect from a remote control, i.e. Zimmer and company score. Uh, and uh, lots of cool melodic material that was reminiscent of what you would expect from the region of Africa. I, I thought that was really cool. But something that stood out to me while watching is the choral work, because again, this is something that's rooted in history. You look at R&B, you look at early rock and roll, you look at jazz, and that is rooted in spirituals and in gospel. And where does that come from? Slavery. And there's a, a sort of an inherent mournfulness in that style of music. But in the choral work we get in this movie, in Wakanda, man, it's joyful. It is, there's no sorrow present in what they're singing at all. And I think that is such, it's so cool. And again, it's that contrast of what if we hadn't had this? Yes, we've had. I don't want to say we've had some positives come from the the slave trade. That's not exactly, that's not at all what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong at that. I'm saying that from black culture, we have gotten some outstanding musical influences and we have borrowed, we as in white people and other people have borrowed from that style of music and made it our own in that way, but it all roots back to slavery. And so again, inherent sadness and Wakanda doesn't have that. And I think that's cool. Um, and it stands out in scenes like the the King Ritual at the start. So uh, I'm excited to purchase the score album and to listen to it more in depth. And maybe, I, I don't know, maybe even the, the soundtrack album, which was produced by Kendrick Lamar. Uh, so I, it's not typically my style of music, but I'm willing to check it out and see what it's worth. Or I mean, maybe not what it's worth, but see, see what the hype is all about. Yeah, I've heard a few songs off the soundtrack and they are, Kendrick Lamar right now is a very popular, very successful uh, song writer, very successful performer. So I, uh, he's, very, he's kind of what's, what's hot right now. So, this, so I've heard some of the songs, they're very well-produced songs, very enjoyable. Uh, it's very he- heavily, not heavily, but there's rap and there's R&B and the kind of the soulful music with that. And it's really, it's really awesome. Kendrick does a good job with that. Uh, so I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the soundtrack for sure. Now, moving on to relevance and takeaways. I, I think we've probably alluded to all of our main points in some way or other uh, at, anyways. But uh, just to sort of reinforce, what, what's one of your takeaways for this movie? I think the, the big word that I, that I see in this movie is unity. Mm-hmm. And that's from the start, you see unity within Wakanda because of the five tribes unifying into one. But ultimately, at the end of the movie, you see T'Challa make the final decision that we're going to unify Wakanda with the rest of the world, uh, and the and not that means every person of every culture. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to just keep keep it to the people of Africa. We're actually going to stretch out to people in America, in Asia, in Europe, in uh, South America. So they not only are breaking down the walls of Wakanda to the African people, but breaking down the walls of Wakanda to the whole world, saying we're here to help anybody who is in need. Mm-hmm. We're here to make sure that this world is able to use the technology of Wakanda for the greater good. So there's a awesome sense of unity that not only breaks the barriers of helping all those in the black community, but breaking the barriers and breaking the walls that people have set up of breaking out any racial just walls. So there is a great sense of unity uh, that this whole movie brings about is unifying each other as a culture and you find each other as just citizens of this world. Yeah. That ties right in with what I was saying, which was uh, pr- the idea of protecting yourself versus protecting others. And Wakanda has a history of protecting themselves. And it's T'Challa in the end who says, no, we're going to change things and we're going to reach out and we're going to protect others too. And we're going to make our resources available to the rest of the world. 
And it, it just drives home this point that if you have the ability and the resources to help others, you absolutely should. I would say you have an obligation to help other people if you have the means to do so. Um, it, it's a change from the previous Wakanda, but it, it, it's a necessary one. And it, it definitely comes from the fact that Wakanda failed Killmonger and will create a Killmonger. And that wasn't even his name. It's what he became. And so, um, yeah, that, that's that's really high up on my list as well. Unity, protecting others, using your resources for the betterment of the world. Um, and then I alluded earlier to this concept of loyalty. And uh, that's to, to people or to country or to, to tradition. It's just a, a prevalent idea in this movie. You have Okoye and Wakabi and Nakia who are all making decisions regarding their loyalty at some point in the film. Nakia loves T'Challa and chooses to stay loyal to him when Killmonger takes over and defeats him. Uh, whereas Okoye initially decides, no, my obligation is to my country, not to any one man. And she changes her mind eventually when she sees what Killmonger is and what his ideals are and how he approaches and views the world. But uh, she does change her mind for the better. And towards in favor of T'Challa. Now, Wakabi chooses to be loyal to Killmonger. We already talked about this because he gave him what he wanted, Claw's death. Even though, and even though that would have spelled out lots of death for countless people around the world and perhaps even Wakanda's own demise eventually uh, when the rest of the world rebelled against what Wakanda was going to be dishing out thanks to Killmonger's whims. Uh, so it, it, it's... There's three different viewpoints there on how we should appro approach loyalty and what our pro priority should be. And I think ultimately, ultimately what it boils down to is the same thing, unity and helping people. Your loyalty should be to the person who's going to make the, the biggest benefit to the world, not necessarily the biggest benefit to you. Yeah, for sure. And uh, another thing that I actually want to uh, mention as well, uh, I actually watched a video uh, today. It was a Jimmy Fallon video. Of he actually had Ch uh, Chadwick Boswick, Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick Boseman, sorry, uh, Chadwick Boseman on a show, and there's a little thing that they did where they actually brought uh, some people in to in front of a Black Panther uh, poster, and they're like, hey, just if you were just if this was Chad Chadwick Boseman in front of you, right, what would you say to him? And the Chadwick Boseman was behind the curtain, like so they they have no idea, so they're just kind of talking about it, and the, each person they brought was a black person, just kind of talking about the influence this movie had. Uh, so obviously, just talking about the themes, I'm just kind of talking about the social uh, theme th theme that was brought up. Uh, but hearing the kind of stories, some of them were funny, just funny stories. So just to bring some comedy, because this is Jimmy Fallon. Mm -hmm. But some of them were just very uh, emotional, uh, because a lot of people, a lot of black people will see this movie, and it empowers them. It encourages them. Uh, and, and it's an amazing feature of a movie that whenever someone sees it, that it inspires them. So that is something that this movie brings to uh, not just, I mean, I'm not going to just, just limit it to just black people because it can, it can inspire anybody, but obviously that is kind of a more visual fo uh, focus of the movie is inspiring the, the black community. Uh, but hearing this stories and I, I, if you have not seen this video, go look up Jimmy Fallon, Chabin, Jimmy Fallon, Chadwick Boseman, it'll pop up and just hearing kind of the uh, testimonies that people have of just what, when do they see this movie? what it makes them feel and what it makes them want to do uh, with their lives is very inspiring. And it's some, something that's very awesome that, that a movie can do. I mean, when we're talking about anything in the fine arts, whether it's movies, music, um, literature, uh, whenever you, you are able to impact people personally, you know that you're making something that is uh, unique. You're making something that is worthwhile, that it actually is uh, taking someone's life and wanting it to change for the better. So it's it's this movie like we've talked about throughout this whole podcast is something that obviously it wants to take a social issue which has been racism which has been oppression uh obviously more so on the black community but overall oppression and slavery and racism throughout all of mankind that we've seen and wants to break down the barriers of it and unify us and uh obviously in, in the black community watching this movie hopefully it is inspiring obviously we we me and Chad cannot connect with that as much knowing our race, but hopefully that this movie can be inspiring and can improve anybody uh, 
individually that can inspire you to become better uh, than what you are and to be better, a better person. So it's, it's a great, great uh, movie because of that single fact. I'm glad we're on the same page here because my final point was representation matters. Uh, there is something hugely empowering to looking on the big screen, seeing somebody dressed up in a superhero outfit who looks like you. I mean, heck, I look at Captain America and I feel awesome. Not because he's American, but because he's a, a man who steals, who sticks to his ideals and is, is true to himself and does what he believes is right. And that's what Captain America means to me. And we saw with Wonder Woman last year, little girls dressed up as Wonder Woman for Halloween because that character is finally a character that they can see on the big screen and say, I want to be like that. I want to be that person. I want to be this person who makes a difference in the world. And so I'm going to dress up like Wonder Woman. And now finally, we have a movie where little black boys and girls can say, man, that person looks like me. And I want to be like that when I grow up because I can. And they are strong people and they are strong characters. And I want to emulate that with my own life. I want to do good like they do in, in the world. And that is so hugely empowering. And it's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, we, you and I can't personally connect to this in the way that a lot of other people out there can. But that's the, that's the point. We have those movies. And we've had countless of those movies that we can identify with. And now it's somebody else's turn. And that's awesome. And so I'm really looking forward to Halloween this year, seeing all the people who are dressed up as their favorite characters from this movie because it made a difference in their lives. Because representation matters, and I hope we get more of it. So any final thoughts on the movie? No, other than the fact that if you have not seen it, you need to. It is very um, inspiring, especially if you're uh, someone that is in the black community. I would say please go see it if you have not. I'm sure your other friends, other friends and uh, family have told you to go see it if they have seen it, uh, because again, again, it is inspiring, and you can see very a few, a lot of testimonies about how Wakanda Forever is, is a good story for anybody that is maybe feeling down or feeling powerless that mm -hmm. can empower you uh, to ch and challenge you to become better. Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, black people go see this. White people go see this too. Everybody go see this, and I want to challenge you to view this movie from Killmonger's point of view because his point of view is an important one because he acts the way he does because he felt oppressed by the world around him. And that is a very real viewpoint for a lot of people in America today. And I think that is important for white people, maybe even more than black people, to see that people out there feel that way. And it can lead to drastic situations. And it can lead to heartbreak and it can lead to just generally not fun things. And so that is something that is a viewpoint that we need to consider so that we're not going out there and creating our own killmongers. Yeah. And this, uh, and, and the one last thing I, for, I forgot to mention during the past, there's always, obviously this movie shows that there's always a good way and a bad way to react to things. And ultimately it is our, our decision and our way that we process information that decides what that is. So it's always good to always look at whatever situation you are in life and understand, okay, what is what do I want to do? Is that for the best of my life that I'm doing this? Because that obviously can change your whole life based off of one decision. Obviously, for Killmonger, it changed it for the worse. For Nakia, for T'Challa, for the nation of Wakanda, decisions were made that improved the nation and unified it even more. Well, with that, I think that's the end of the official fourth episode of Cinescope today. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope podcast and at Cinescope pod on Twitter. Please consider going over to iTunes, rating, reviewing, subscribing to the show. That'd be a big help to us and with uh, visibility and all that kind of stuff. Uh, email feedback and ideas to thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also use that email address to contact me regarding co-hosting. If you have a movie that you'd like to talk about, or if you have a movie coming up this summer that you would like us to talk about for Cinescope Today, definitely use that to uh, tell us or our social media. Now, Seth, where can people find you online? You can find me online on Twitter. My tag is at Seth02. That is Seth, the letter O, the number two. And that is basically the main way you can find me on, on the internet. The best place to find me is also on Twitter. That is on, uh, at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. -A 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 -A. 
You can also find me on Facebook if you'd like, uh, although I don't do much on there, but that's facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then there's my other show, An American Workplace, where we talk about NBC's The Office, and we're uh, four or five episodes into season four of the show now. That show is going great. It's a lot of fun. And you can find that where podcasts can be found and at workplacepodcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Cinescope Today, Episode 4. I'm Chad Hopkins. And I'm Seth O'Neill. This was Cinescope Today, and we'll be back next time with Episode 5. Have fun and celebrate movies.